Welcome to your next stop. I am super excited for my next guest. I actually had to pronounce her last name and her company. As you guys know, my pronunciations of things suck. Dr. Beth Salyers. She is transforming the world together. And I can't wait till you guys jump into what she's doing with her company called Custom Learning Atelier. I can't wait to jump into like all the stuff you're doing. I was really excited when you reached out on Clubhouse. Exactly. It's been it's been a whirlwind on there, but I love it uh, so far. So my quote is, uh, it was super easy for me to choose this one because it's been with me for decades. You may say that I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one by John Lennon, of course, in his iconic song, Imagine. Oh, I love that. Okay. So mine is, I am not afraid of storms for I am learning how to sail my ship. And that is by Louisa May Alcott. And I just, just in this whole rebranding of your next stop just spoke to me so closely because we can't get hung up on little things because we're all learning. And I think it's also kind of learning what you guys are doing. I felt like it was just a really perfect quote for this episode. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And being able to stay on that boat in the tides that are up and down. Yes. It's clutch. It's what what we call life, right? Right. (laughs) Welcome to your next stop. This is Juliet Hahn. I am a wife, mom, virtual coach, public speaker, and crazy obsessed dog lover. I am so honored to be able to take you into the life of someone that has followed a passion. Every week, I hope you are as inspired as I am. Welcome to your next stop. So Beth, I cannot wait to dive into this. Tell us a little bit about where you were, like how you got here, you know, your education, obviously you're a doctor, so you you went through a lot of school and uh, I want to hear a little bit about your upbringing and then where you are today. Yeah, of course. So I was born in Ohio, uh, spent most of my life in North Carolina. So I say I'm Ohio born, North Carolina raised, and I have the great privilege of being able to live in New Orleans now. So it is definitely awesome. The home of my soul, which ties in kind of with the whole story. Way back when, uh, I knew myself and still do first and foremost through music, just as a way, another way of experiencing your own thoughts and how to engage in the world. And of course, with travel, uh, I became a public school classroom teacher after originally going to college for music, and it just didn't feel right. So I was experiencing this dissonance of, man, I love music. And now I'm in this program and I don't even want to listen to the radio anymore. I was like, that is not good. No, that's tough. That's tough. Right? But it became a flag for me that I was always noticing, like, if I'm feeling this internal dissonance, something's not, I'm not what I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Can you tell us how old you were when you felt that? I was a freshman in college because I'd played flute, violin, piano all the way up most of grade school. And then I went to college for flute and music education. That was the plan at a wonderful school. And I still love music. I loved playing, but I sat in the classes and I was just like, no, this makes me not want to practice. This makes me not want to perform. This makes me not want to collaborate. This makes me not want to learn. And I was like, oh, not a good sign. This makes me not want to listen to the radio. And I was like, I don't want to hate something that I'm doing. Right. So I had a really powerful English composition teacher who asked me what I thought, validated it, and asked me more. And she let me use the arts to help explain where I was coming from and use the arts as a resource in a legitimate text. I love that. And I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. Because I hated English in high school. Hated it. I like read all of two books, but I could play the game. And I was like, I want to do that. So I went across campus, changed my major, became an English language arts teacher, middle school and high school. I loved it. Absolutely fabulous people teaching and love the students. And all of a sudden I got that feeling again. I was like, oh crap. There it is. 
right? <laughs> Look, I've done all this work. I have a master's degree in this. Like I'm loving it. I love the friends I've made. I love the students. And I was like, well, damn, what am I going to do now? And to the point where this one, I did not listen. Like I felt it, but I didn't make changes because I'd worked so hard, right? Like I'd right. been a classroom teacher. I got a master's degree in it. I'm involved. I'm on all these committees, even at the district level. I'm presenting across the country on things. Till one day in the last year of my public school classroom teaching career, I literally collapsed at the board. Like it was before the students arrived. I had been losing weight. I had not been hungry. I didn't want to run anymore. So all these signs that I now take as signs of, whoa, girl, if you don't stop yourself, the universe will. Yeah. I, I didn't listen. And it was before the students arrived, thankfully, and I just collapsed. I was like, I have to go home. Oh my gosh. And so I went home, of course, called my mom. She came down to get me. I was living in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time. And I was then out for three and a half weeks from teaching and I was diagnosed with depression. Wow. And I was like, oh. And the doctor looked at me and was like, um, you're going to need to change jobs. This is fascinating to me because I, everyone in their life has gotten that feeling, right? And it's yeah. what you do with that feeling, whether you stuff it. I always say to my kids, like, don't stuff feelings like you stuff it. It's going to come out somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> so so don't do it because I'm telling you right now it will come out somewhere. So I think that is so profound that the universe was like, you know what? No, like you could have went on years with that. Like how many years? Like, do you feel like it was years or was it, you know, a year? Like when you had that feeling from the day that you collapsed, how long was that? It was probably a year because I was teaching in a different district. I was at that time living in the Durham Chapel Hill area. And then I moved to Charlotte just like, like maybe I just need a new city. Right. Chapel Hill gets small after a while. Right. And I loved Charlotte. And so I moved there. but That wasn't it. And so this happened. This was in November. And so I still had the rest of the school year to go. That's so tough. It is tough. And it was really painful because I love teaching. Right. I love teaching. I love the students. I love the creativity of it. And I love working with people and collaborating, especially as a middle school teacher, um, was kind of baked into the philosophy. And uh, so I was like, well, crap, what am I going to do? And so I was like, well, there's things that need to be changed. And I tried to identify what that dissonance was. And the dissonance for me in the public school classroom, as a student, I now look back, and as a teacher, was the difference between the promise of education and the reality of education. And by far, not the first person to point that out or to experience that or to verbalize it or to do exquisite research on that. But I was feeling that intimately. Can you say that again? Because that was, again, very profound. Yeah, it was, as we know, if you can identify what the dissonance is, then it's a next step to being able to solve it, right? Or at least move through it. And so the dissonance for me was the difference between the promise of education and the reality of education. Which is tough. That is is tough. It's really tough. I mean, I shared with you before, as I was read, my listeners know I'm dyslexic. And so school was very difficult for me. And not until college did I realize, oh, I actually am smart. I just learn different. And I have a son I'm raising who is dyslexic and fighting the district all the time. And it's just sometimes you're just like, listen, I know you're human beings. This has to be killing you because all you keep saying is how, and this is like through his education, how amazing this kid is and how you just want to help him. But and there's always the but and it's like but because of red tape and here and there and that has to be so difficult so that's what was eating at you yeah 100 because you know even if you have the wherewithal and your student has an IEP or a 504 all the legal things that people put into place to help students navigate what we call school some students don't have that right and then also it's just a piece of paper at the end of the day you have to like, how is it being enacted? And is it truly meeting the needs? It was really heartbreaking. And, you know, I, I taught in districts where there were extremely rich, privileged kids, and there were students who were experiencing homelessness. 
And so then you see what their experiences are in the, in the school district and in the pipeline of schooling. And like I said, it's heartbreaking. I was like, this isn't right. Right. And so I was like, well, no shock. No one's going around the country being like, hey, teachers, tell us what we should do. That just doesn't happen. If you see a gathering of teachers rallying around each other, it's usually other classroom teachers. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of policy and overhead power. So I was like, well, what do I need to do to change the system? Because this is not working. I was like, well, let me go back and get my PhD because I needed to put language to the feelings I was experiencing. I could feel it. I saw it with my own hands. I heard it from the voices of my students, but I couldn't put it into language that would get me into rooms where people would listen to me. So I was like, fine. I'll go back to school. So I went back and got my PhD in curriculum instruction with a focus on urban education there in Charlotte. Met some of the most fabulous people on the planet and loved it. I love the nerdiness of it. I love the exploration of it. I like the practicality of it. And then once again, I was close. I had chosen my dissertation topic. I found out something that was heartbreaking within the structure. And I was like, I can't work with who is going to be my dissertation chair anymore. I was like, I just ethically can't do it because I'm talking about one thing and I'm experiencing another. So there was that dissonance again. I'm like, come on. Right. So... (laughs) Come on. So then I changed tracks and I was like, well, let me get curious about the dissonance. Because there's something there where we experience dissonance that there's room for growth. Right. And as my music background, I likened it a lot to harmonics and especially like jazz and also harmony and what we identify in the West as harmony of what sounds good. And we call dissonant in music, what sounds off to our ears, but that's only our social conditioning. Right. If we go halfway around the world, what we hear as dissonance is totally different. And I was like, okay, we're just, this is all socially conditioned crap, <laughs> right? Right, right. So how do, we, how do we navigate that dissonance? So that's what my PhD was about. So I just want to take it back for one second. So you were at the end, so you were doing your dissertation. Can you share with us what stopped you? You said that you had, and you might not be able to, but like what the heartbreaking thing is, just so I can understand and have my listeners understand what the next path was. So you were there and, uh, you know, for someone maybe that's never gone through a doctorate program, I have not. So if you can just give us a little bit of a picture of what that looks like. Yeah. So the program I was in is made up of absolutely phenomenal educators and human beings. And some of my greatest friends today came through that program. It was a situation where when you're going for a PhD, you take all your classes, you form relationships, you figure out, okay, what am I going to super study for this big project I'm going to do, right? Basically. And then you need someone to kind of spearhead it. So you have a committee, you have a chair who's kind of like, you check in with them the most. They give you the most direction. They tell you, no, it's not good enough and do it again. Like that's their, their job, right? To help you become an academic writer, right? And so I had that set up with a, a professor who was, was extremely bright. Um, I learned so much from. And then there was an incident where there was a decision made on their behalf that in my own value system, I could not justifiably connect that or align that with the work I wanted to do. It felt dissonant to me. So I was like, fine, this can't happen. So at that point, I had to change total gears, change the topic of my dissertation, found a new dissertation chair who's a remarkable, phenomenal, brilliant, badass woman at the university and, you know, then proceeded forth with tons of support and wonderful wonderfulness. So you had that feeling again, which I mean, it sounds like obviously you also are very aware because it's like, okay, this is now the third or fourth time I'm having this feeling. Did it ever get easier with those feelings? Did it get quicker? I mean, obviously the first time it happened, you changed, but then when you were in teaching, you were like, okay, I sat with that too long and then I got sick. So the next time it happened, were you like, oh, I need to quickly change this because my body's not going to allow it to keep going? Yes. Yes. And I've gotten better each time. I'm super stubborn. Anyone will tell you that. Um, (laughs) 
hopefully for good reasons too. But I become every single time. I'm also a very curious person and I like learning comes with the territory, I guess. And so I'm always questioning what got me into the situation, what's going to get me through the situation and what will I not do next time? So it's kind of always running on my brain. Love it. Yeah, um, I love that. To go through. And it's always that curiosity part. If you fight it and you resist it, little usually changes. But if you start getting curious about those feelings, you start getting curious about why and what am I contributing? What could I, what could I just eliminate? Sometimes it's not even doing something, it's stop doing something. I'm so curious. So I love that. That's, uh, that's why I always say when I do these interviews, I don't like to do too much research because I'm a very curious person. So when someone's talking in my mind, I'm like, Ooh, I want to know more about that. And that's just because I'm curious in my nature as well. So I love that. Yeah. Same here. Um, I, I'm very curious. I, I do some prep, you know, you, you go into meetings with people, but hearing something in their own voice and their own context, um, Context is big for me. And so after that, I got a great job. I coached first year, often unlicensed teachers in hard to staff schools, and then felt dissonance in that position because they, there was a scaling issue where the quality was sacrificed, in my opinion, for numbers. Uh, so left that. And then at the time I was dating someone and they had various companies they were starting. So at this point, I call myself, I was kind of like founder adjacent. I saw him very smart, very hardworking, do his thing. And I was like, interesting. So that's how you do a business, like up close, right? I'd known people did it, like my dad had a business, but like up close, living with someone, what that's like. And so I learned a ton. And then I was like, well, let me just consult, right? Like, let me help all these across industries do better teaching and learning. And so that was kind of the thing. Years went on from that. And I started to get a little dissonance. And I'm like, ah, there's something else I should be doing. There's something else I should be doing. So I was like, well, what if I, I made my own company? And at first I did. And I was living in Ohio at the time. And it was just me. It was a solopreneur, consultant, however much I work, I make. And I get to choose who I work with. It was great. And I had a partner at the time, you know, so financially, you know, there was more option there as well. And that relationship ended. I went back for like a month in North Carolina, you know, did the whole land at your mama's house, go hang out with your sister, see all your girls, do the things that we do. And then my brother lives here in New Orleans and had been with his wife for about six years. And I came down, I was like, well, let me just go down with Jeff for a while and chill. And I never left. Yeah, it just felt right. I had a great job offer in in Washington, DC with a fabulous company. And I turned that down. And I was like, how many times, especially at the time I was 41, how many times do you get a clean blank slate? Right. Like clean. There's nowhere I have to live. I don't have kids. I don't have a car anymore because I left it. Like I don't have anything. That's pretty cool. Right. And I had been working remote with my consulting business. So I was like, at the end of the day, like I'll go work at a bookstore. Yeah. I'd be very happy. Right. Like, so what would I do? Like, I was like, I have to go for this company. Like it was a very deep all in and acknowledge the privilege, the fact that I have safety nets. Like if this all goes to crap, I can go stay with my brother. I know I can go to my mom's house. I can go to my dad's house. I know I can go to a friend's house. And so I think it's very important to acknowledge that I have those support systems where a lot of people don't. And I was like, if I have that privilege and I have that support system and I don't go for it, that feels heartbreaking for me. Right. Because what I could do and what I want to do in the world helps bring those sort of support systems and agency. People can step into their own. Right. And so I'm like, why not? <laughs> so I got curious and and dove in. And so I've had this company, Custom Learning Atelier, officially, according to the state of Louisiana and the IRS and all the things for just over a year, right before the pandemic. Stay tuned for a quick message from my sponsor. 
Hi, my name is Shari Hodes, and I'm the president of Aura Limited, a proud all-women-owned brand marketing and global sourcing agency. Simply put, we provide fashion-forward swag for any and all of your branding needs. Please visit us at www.auralimitedspelledout.com. So take us into a little bit more deep what you guys do. Yeah. So at the end of the day, the easiest way to describe us is we are content designers. And so we are content designers in order to help leaders and their organizations And these leaders and organizations tend to be socially and environmentally conscious. We want to help them raise their capacity. We want them to be able to use the tools and the knowledge and the art and science of learning to increase the good they do in the world. So we want to be the behind the scenes. We're like, y'all are awesome. You're changing the world. You're doing climate justice work. You're solving social inequity problems. We want to be behind the scenes and help you increase your agency with the magic and the power and the science of teaching and learning. And so that's the goal. Which is very, very cool. You got to take all of that education that you had and all of those experiences that you had and it all kind of came to a head with this company, right? Because you got to use all the passions that you had, but the structure of the places that you were before, what was holding you back? Because it wasn't letting you do what you could do best. And so you created something that you could do all of your talents and have it out in the world where it's tapping into your passions and your fire. And um, I just, I, I love that. So congratulations. Thank you. It, it must feel really good. I have to say there's so still, you know, so much uncertainty around all of this tenfold and 10 years ago, it would have sent me under my covers hiding with anxiety. Right. But to be honest, I've never been happier in my life. I've never been more energized and focused. And, you know, at the end of the day, I tell my collaborators and I were, where I was like, I know so many badass people in this world. I just want to work with them, do good work, get paid well, and make, make a difference. That's it. That's that right. full stop. And we're getting to do that. And so I feel wonderfully lucky and very grateful because all those moments, I look back and there's certain things that I'm going through now and building this business and, and whatnot that I'm like, oh, I had to go through that 10, 15 five years ago, because I'm using that skill set now. Yes. I'm like, ah, oh, I see you universe. I see you. Yes. So that is one of my favorite things. And it's, and I'm going to, there's like a quote out there that basically says, and I've said it in some of my episodes, but there's experiences that you have that you don't know why. Right. And it could be life changing. It could be gut wrenching. It could be small, but you don't know why. And then years, months, days, whatever it is, all of a sudden you're like, oh, that's why that happens. And it's funny because I say this to my kids and my husband all the time. And they don't love it as much as I do. Because they're like, oh, this is one of the things that I'm going to learn from. They always say, my, my kids are always like, oh, we're just having a conversation. Why do you have to turn everything into a life lesson? And I'm like, because it's a life lesson. I'm telling you, it's you're, this moment that is happening to you right now. You're going to see why later in life or even just a month, like why it happened. So be aware, be present, sit in it. Don't let it, you know, you can, if it's a big, big thing that's happened, you're going to remember it, obviously. But even if it's a small thing, just be aware of what is happening in your life. Because again, there's going to be some sort of learning that or teaching or something down the road. So I love that you said that because that is like my favorite thing. And I, <laughs> and, and I think it's so remarkable when, when it happens and mm-hmm. you're like, oh, shit. Right? Okay. I, I see you universe. Just like you said, I see you. Okay. I see, you. I see what you're doing. And it helps bring a bit of confidence into the current moment. You're like, well, I survived that. And not only did I quote unquote survive it, but I learned so much and now it's giving me these gifts. So if I'm, I'm struggling with something now, I'm like, I'm practicing. I'm practicing for when I need to use this in the future. Yep. And it's a very 
you know, we, we believe what we tell ourselves. And so it's a very nice way of keeping ourselves within that space of growth. No matter what, you, if you're growing and you're learning, you know, there's identity loss, and you have to validate and deal with that. But to keep keep yourself in that space of growth is very difficult. And it's very interesting, like, uh, in thinking about this, the thing that's changed with my curiosity is totally aligned with like, our approach with the art and science of learning and, and content design, that context really matters. Yeah, that all of it feeds, it's all so connected. And so I'm very conscious, and I was doing it in my work, I was very conscious in how you design learning experiences or events or content or trainings or facilitations or all the things that we can do, all those little decisions matter because it impacts learning. We know that to be true. And I've also realized that if we're going to try to do the what is different, then the how has to be different as well. It has to be super aligned. And so I've moved into a space where to design a company that I have not yet found myself or been a part of, I have to build it differently and I have to enact myself differently. And so this whole idea I'm dwelling in, this intersection, this, this space of consumption, what are we consuming? Love that. Because that all impacts where we're going and how we're feeling and how we're experiencing something. And so for me right now, the curiosity in my life is what am I consuming and how is it impacting me? Yeah. And what can I do to move through any current dissonance? Oh, Beth, that's amazing. I'm so happy for you. I could, I could like literally just feel and see, and I don't even know you, right? We just, we I just <laughs> We're just meeting, but I can just feel that you are in the right spot. So I'm just really, really pumped for you. And thank um, you. That means a lot. Can you share all your social medias so people can say, oh my gosh, I want to see what she's doing. So share, spell them out because, (laughs) because if my listeners are like me, we can't spell worth anything. So if you could spell out and let everyone know where they can reach you. Yeah. So the website for the company is www.customlearningatelier, atelier, A-T-E-L-I-E-R. Probably the easiest way is just to go on Instagram. And my personal account is Beth, B-E-T-H underscore Salyers, S-A-L-Y-E-R-S. We also have a company Instagram, which is customer atelier. And then I'm on LinkedIn, also on Clubhouse under Beth Salliers. LinkedIn is your name as well? My name, and I think PhD is after it. Perfect. And you know what, this will all be in the show notes. Perfect. Thank you again so much for joining me for this. I just I love learning what people are doing out there. And there's so much out there. That's what's really cool is every woman that I interview, I'm like, wow, I didn't even know that that could exist. Or I didn't know that you could put those two things together. So I am obsessed with learning from each of you guys. And it's just, you know, I know my listeners are the same. So now that this is called your next stop, I'm asking everyone at the end, what does crazy town mean to you in one sentence? Crazy town to me means I'm going to tie it back to the quote. You may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I will not be the only one in crazy town. There's more of us. I love that. Crazy town to me is like very endearing. It's my family. It's the energy. It's life. It's just all that goes around us. That's like, you know, my, we're an energetic bunch, <laughs> not as energetic as me, but then my husband would laugh and be like, yeah, he is definitely not as energetic as me, but we are, we have two boxers. There's always something going on. Three kids, my family, I'm one of five. So there's like, I've always had a lot around me and that's just very enduring to me. So that's where crazy town comes from. Cause it's just like, I love it. My crazy town. It's my love. It's the energy of, of, of what I bring to the world and what my, you know, my people that I love. So Beth, again, thank you so much for joining me. Guys, if you like what you hear, don't forget to share, rate, review. Every week, you have to come and listen to what another woman is doing because it's going to give you guys ideas and help you get out of situations that maybe you're feeling stuck. Maybe you're having that feeling that Beth had and you're like, crap, you know what? I have had that for three months. I better fucking make a change because, you know, it's going to take, don't stuff it 
you got to express it. So Beth, thank you again so much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you liked this episode of Your Next Stop. Please subscribe to my channel, share with your friends and join in each week. 